Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. I'm going to run through a view from the bridge and dramatic devices that Arthur Miller uses in the play. Now, it's really important to understand the play as a a type of tragedy um, because there's a number of dramatic devices that um, come under the category of tragedy and also um, it impacts how you view the structure of the play. So the play begins with the character Alfieri giving a sort of commentary and introduction on the action. And Alfieri's function is dramatically like the role of the chorus in a Greek tragedy. So usually a Greek tragedy would begin with a chorus, which could be just one person or it could be a number of people, relating some important background before the play begins. They very much set up the key themes that the play will explore and they set the mood um, and they introduce the key protagonist. Um, and that's what Alfieri does. He he comes on and he introduces the idea of, of where the action is taking place in Red Hook um, on the seaward side of Brooklyn Bridge. Now, obviously, the bridge is going to be an important symbol throughout the play. Um, the title is A View from the Bridge, A View from Brooklyn Bridge, but also could have a symbolic meaning as well, which we'll talk about in a moment. But Alfieri's role is to set up the action that usually this is a quiet neighbourhood with just petty concerns that he may deal with as a lawyer. Um, but then he introduces um, that every every few years there is a case. Every few years something happens, basically out of the ordinary. Um, and and he says about this, this one time um, where a case arises and um and he sat there powerless and watched it run its bloody course now just that phrase its bloody course there's a real sense there of tragedy a sense of inevitability about the action that you're going to see it sets the tone of the players we know this is not going to end well this case uh, in point um and so we know that we're beginning the play with the hero in his setting and there will be hints of the hero's flaw um, and and the hints at the maybe the errors that he might make of judgment. Um, if you remember the terminology here is uh, Hamasha is his tragic flaw. Um, hubris is often the excessive pride of the protagonist um, that's really important for tragedy to take its course. So when we open the play in Act 1, we've got Eddie in his home setting with Catherine and Beatrice and some really important things are being set up here. Now the main dramatic um, devices to look at in the early stages of the play is going to be the dialogue between the characters. There's not much um, action in the early stages of the play, in the, the, the section that we would call the setup, um, the section which introduces the key concerns of the characters but there are still a number of um a number of techniques in terms of the symbolism and in foreshadowing later events in the play so it's not long into the play when eddie has this 
um, conflict with Catherine about the way that she's growing up. And he says, now don't aggravate me, Katie. You're walking wavy. I don't like the looks they're giving you in the candy store. And with them new high heels on the sidewalk, clack, clack, clack. The heads are turning like windmills. Now, what I think is interesting about his tone is that he is quite confrontational and accusatory towards Catherine. He calls her Katie as a as a marker of his authority over her. And he talks about the looks they're giving her in the candy store. Now, I think that's interesting because the candy store is something we associate with children. But obviously, she's 17. Um, and then he refers to her high heels and there's that sort of onomatopoeic clack, clack, clack sound that he makes. The heads are turning like windmills. It's a great simile. You know, you get that really vivid picture of, of all the boys watching her. Um, but it really is um, a significant symbol, the high heels of of Catherine growing up and becoming a woman um, and this male attention that she's kind of enjoying um, is something that fundamentally unsettles Eddie. Now, in a universal sense, um, fathers could identify with that sense of um, unease, but then it becomes clear as Act 1 progresses that there is more to Eddie's sense of unease than just a normal parental feeling of concern i mean we know he's not catherine's father he's his uncle but he's brought her up as his daughter himself um now a little bit later on um we we can see the tension between eddie and beatrice which is impacted by catherine so catherine told him about her job and eddie's given his permission um and catherine eager to please him says you know i'll go get you a cigar and runs off. While she's gone, um, Eddie sort of turns to, to Beatrice and, and asks, you know, why she's getting mad at him. Beatrice responds, who's mad? She gets up, clearing the dishes. I'm not mad. She picks up the dishes and turns to him. You're the one who's mad. She turns and goes into the kitchen as Catherine enters from the bedroom with a cigar and a pack of matches. And then we we watch on stage as Catherine uh, gives him the cigar and lights it for him. Now, what is really significant here is the actions of Catherine are vividly showing the audience that Catherine is relating to Eddie in the way that a wife or a lover would in terms of usually, um, you know, going getting him a beer, going getting him a cigar. That was like the, the things that a wife was meant to do. And Catherine is eager to please Eddie and she does those things. Beatrice is quite clearly not eager to please Eddie and doesn't want to do those things. So you've got Beatrice picking up the dishes, um, saying I'm not mad when she clearly is. And we can see why, because Catherine is doing the things that really, really Beatrice should be doing, like getting the cigars, lighting the cigar for him. There's that physical closeness there that now Catherine is 17 years old, just seems really inappropriate. So the tension between these three characters is um, dramatically presented in the dialogue um, and the implicit conflict that isn't external at this point, but is running under the surface, but is also shown in those physical actions. And in terms of dramatic devices, those physical actions are really significant to comment on. Um, now, there's some important themes which come 
um, across in Act 1 as well, and important elements of foreshadowing later events. So um, when Beatrice finds out that, to her surprise, the ship is coming in with her cousins on, um, Beatrice is, is instantly quite uneasy about this. Um, and Eddie's saying, you know, you know why, basically, why aren't you happy about this? And she says, I'm just afraid if it don't turn out good, you'll be mad at me. I think this is an important quote which um, foreshadows the later events of the play, how it's not going to turn out well um, and, you know, Eddie is going to start to alienate everybody in this house um, because of this decision to host the cousins. Um, then the other th- quote that I wanted to point out is is where Beatrice really confronts Eddie about, you know, why he was reluctant to to let Catherine take the job. And she says she says to Eddie, look, you've got to get used to it. She's no baby no more. Tell her to take it. Um he turns his head away. You hear me? She's angering. I don't understand you. She's seventeen years old. You're gonna keep her in the house all her life? And I think what's interesting is this term baby. They often refer to Catherine as baby. You know, baby, go set the table. Baby, go do this. Um, Beatrice says, you know, she's no baby no more. But both Beatrice and Eddie view her as a baby. They view her as a child and they're both struggling to view her as an adult. Um, And this phrase, you know, you're going to keep her in the house all her life. Firstly, could relate maybe to Beatrice's life. She's very confined in the domestic sphere. And secondly, maybe foreshadows that this is the key thing that Eddie can't control. Every tragic hero, there's something in his life that he he just can't control. For Eddie, it's Catherine. He can't control her. She's growing up into a young woman and there's nothing he can do to stop that. Now, one other significant quotation here is um, where Eddie reminds Beatrice and Catherine that they can't talk about the immigrants to anyone. And um, he basically says, remember Vinny, who was this guy. Um, And he discusses how um, the uh, kid snitched on his own uncle. Um, And then the response was really dramatic in the community. Um, It says they grabbed him in the kitchen, pulled him downstairs. Three flights, his head was bouncing like a coconut. They spit on him in the street, his own father and his brothers. The whole neighbourhood was crying. Um, And then he went away. So whilst we don't visually see this scene, this vivid description is referred to by Beatrice. Um, And then off the back of that story, Eddie says, as a kind of offhand comment to Catherine, just remember, kid, you can quicker get back a million dollars that was stole than a word that you gave away. And it says he's standing now stretching his back. Now, I love the way that this is an offhand, casual line where he's kind of delivering his his adult wisdom to Catherine as he's standing and stretching. You know, that's an act of being relaxed and trying to, you know, just get the crick out of your neck. Um, and he's off guard here. It's a really important incident because it foreshadows the end of the play. At the end of the play, we're going to see a scene in action this time, not just reported to us, where because Eddie's betrayed him, he's spat on. Um, he is rejected by the community. Ultimately, you know, he's killed. Um, and he's going to be suffering because of that that word that he spoke that he could never get back. So, again, I love the way that in Act 1, you've got a lot of understated conversations understated actions 
which foreshadow things that turn into, by the end of the play, very dramatic um, action-driven scenes. Now, once the um, immigrants arrive, Rodolfo and Marco, it's really interesting. There's a clear tension on stage. These characters are very unsure of one another. They don't know one another. But there's some really significant dramatic devices used um, to depict this. So one of the major ones that's used is Rodolfo's singing. So um, Catherine says to Rodolfo, did you ever hear of jazz? And Rodolfo's like, oh, sure, I sing jazz. Um, and then says, you know, you like Paper Doll? And Catherine says, oh, sure, I'm crazy for Paper Doll. Go ahead, sing it. And then Rodolfo begins to sing. Now, the act of Rodolfo standing on stage and singing firstly draws the spotlight onto himself. Now, we know from this point, um, from before this point, Eddie has been the one with the spotlight on him. He's been the central alpha male character. So we know that Eddie's not going to like this. But what's really significant is the symbolism of this song. Look at the lyrics. Um, I'll tell you, boys, it's tough to be alone. It's tough to love a doll that's not your own. Now, that's Eddie's situation. He's in love with Catherine, but she doesn't belong to him. She's his niece. Um, and it says... Hey boy, what are you going to do? I'm going to buy a paper doll that I can call my own. A doll that other fellows cannot steal. And then those flirty, flirty guys with their flirty, flirty eyes will have to flirt with dollies that are real. Now it's interesting that at that point, Eddie interrupts and, and hey kid, hey wait a minute. Um, and, and Catherine's desperate for him to keep singing. But it's interesting that Eddie interrupts at this point and you wonder if it's it's... The lyrics are really close to the bone for Eddie. This idea of, you know, he wants Catherine to be that paper doll that he can control. He doesn't want to accept the reality that she's not. As the play develops, the drama and the conflict between the characters increases. Um, and that's another important thing to look for in terms of dramatic devices, the increase in tension and um, overt conflict between the characters. So when Catherine comes home from the pictures with um, uh, Rodolfo and Eddie talks to Catherine, um, they have this confrontation where Eddie um, tells Catherine that he's only interested in her um, because if he marries her, he gets his citizenship. Um, so Catherine says... No, Eddie, he's got all kinds of respect for me. And you too. We walk across the street. He takes my arm. He almost bows to me. You got him all wrong, Eddie. I mean it, you. Katie, he's only bowing to his passport. His passport? That's right. He marries you. He's got the right to be an American citizen. That's what's going on here. You understand what I'm telling you? The guy's looking for his break. That's all he's looking for. Oh, no, Eddie, I don't think so. You don't think so. Katie, you're going to make me cry here. Is that a working man? What does he do with his first money? Snappy new jacket he buys, records, a pony pair of new shoes and his brother's kids are starving over there with tuberculosis? That's a hit and run guy, baby. He's got bright lights in his head, Broadway. Them guys don't think of nobody but their self. You marry him, the next time you see him it'll be for divorce. Now, in that overt concert, you've got in the uh, tone that Catherine and Eddie use with one another, there's the way that um, they interrupt one another. You've got the exclamations um, and you've got Eddie's repeated 
questioning of Catherine to make his point, those rhetorical questions, you know. Um, is that a working man? What does he do with his money? His brother's kids are starving with tuberculosis. You know, he, he barrages Catherine with what he sees as his better knowledge and better understanding of the situation. Um, and also persists on calling her baby so he reinforces his superiority with the questioning and then his that's a hit and run guy baby that statement blanket statement with baby on the end so eddie is is in the conflict consistently using language to reinforce his superiority over catherine now what's significant is in the same scene we then see Beatrice with Catherine using similar technique but to different effect. So Beatrice basically takes Catherine to one side. She's increasingly alarmed at the situation that she's seeing with Eddie, Eddie's response to Catherine. And Beatrice uses questions as well to force Catherine to think. But she does it in quite a different way to Eddie. Um, look at the conversation that they have. Um, she says, sit down, honey. I want to tell you something. Here, sit down. Was there ever any fella he liked for you? There wasn't, was there? But he says Rodolfo's just after his papers. Look, he'll say anything. What does he care what he says? If it was a prince came here for you, it would be no different. You know that, don't you? Yeah, I guess. So what does that mean? What? It means you've got to be your own self more. You still think you're a little girl, honey. But nobody else can make up your mind for you anymore. You understand? You've got to give him to understand that he can't give you orders no more. Yeah, but how am I going to do that? He thinks I'm a baby. Because you think you're a baby. I told you 50 times already, you can't act the way you act. You still walk around in front of him in your slip. Well, I forgot. Well, you can't do it. Or like you sit on the edge of the bathtub talking to him when he's shaving in his underwear. When'd I do that? I seen you in there this morning. Oh, well, I wanted to tell him something and I... I know, honey, but if you act like a baby, and he'd be treating you like a baby. Like when he comes home sometimes, you throw yourself at him like when he was 12 years old. Now, what's interesting in this exchange is Beatrice is quietly questioning her with a far more rational um, manner than Eddie. But just like Eddie, Beatrice is manipulating Catherine as well. Beatrice wants Catherine to get out of their house, to get out of their lives, because she sees that her husband is you know has this illicit desire for her so beatrice is using her language skills and her manipulation to get catherine to just go and marry rodolfo and and get the heck out so it's interesting the way that um both eddie and beatrice use the similar kind of questioning to make decisions for catherine and push her in a different direction um, and at this stage catherine is very willing to listen to either of them. Now, all these conversational conflicts really climax at the end of Act One in a physical conflict. Now, this is where Catherine has asked um, Rodolfo to dance to the record Paper Doll. So again, that song is played again as a motif throughout the play. Um, and in their act of dancing, um, which really winds Eddie up, he begins to roll his newspaper really, really tightly um, and sort of start clenching it in his fists. And then he suggests about going to see the boxing to Marco Rodolfo. And he says, you know, hey, Rodolfo, I'll, I'll, I'll teach you. And so 
what turns into light sparring, obviously we can see this coming. Um, Eddie uh, faints with his left hand, lands with his right and mildly staggers Rodolfo. Now, um, Eddie says, you know, did I hurt your kid? And Rodolfo says, no, no, he didn't hurt me. To Eddie with a certain gleam and a smile, I was only surprised. And then just shortly after that, um, the record is put on again, Paper Doll, and him and Catherine dance again. And that's when Marco takes a chair, places it in front of Eddie and says, you know, can you lift this chair? Um, Eddie sort of struggles, raises it an inch and says, oh, gee, that's hard. I never knew that. Then Marco um, raises the chair higher and higher over his head. And at this point, Rodolfo and Catherine have stopped dancing. Um, And the stage directions say this, Marco is face to face with Eddie, a strained tension gripping his eyes and jaw, his neck stiff, the chair raised like a weapon over Eddie's head, and he transforms what might appear like a glare of warning into a smile of triumph, and Eddie's grin vanishes as he absorbs his look. So the curtain falls on Act 1 in an image of tension, an image of potential violence, that is about to erupt. So at the moment, everything's under the surface. Everything's just undercurrents of dislike, passion, um, anger. But we realise that this is now preparing us for, in Act 2, much more overt violence and a- active violence against um, against each other. So this incident of the lifting the chair is really important structurally because we know at this point now that Eddie's in trouble. We know that Eddie has awakened a conflict that he can't handle. Um, he may well be able to box Rodolfo, but there's no way he can beat Marco. And this is going to foreshadow that Marco is really the antagonist that Eddie should be fearing. Eddie spends all his time um, viewing Rodolfo as his enemy and Rodolfo is the one he has to defeat really his real enemy is Marco and Marco's going to be the one who who kills Eddie at the end so lots of drama in Act 1 lots of important dramatic devices and motifs and symbols which will become important um, even more important as the play progresses If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful please hit subscribe and share it with a friend You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests, so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.